Good morning, and good morning to Cafe Church as well. Um, as Ian has said, today is the first sermon in our um, holiday season. We've got four um, sermons through the month of August where um, four individuals have been asked to come and preach um, on the basis of a favourite Bible character. And, um, and Martin has uh, entitled it uh, with this sort of superheroes um, heading. I guess, um, at least I hope, that all four preachers, if they really were going to preach on their superhero, they'll be preaching on Jesus. Um, but actually, we've, I think we've all picked a, 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 a character from the Old Testament. Whether they're a superhero or not, um, I'm not sure. We've just sung um, that actually we're not all super brave superheroes. And I guess the people in um, the Bible also were just like you and me. And the character that I've picked, I'm not sure I actually have a favourite Bible character, other than Jesus, um, but the character I've picked is Caleb um, in the Old Testament. Some of you will know the story of Caleb, some of you may not, don't worry, you're soon um, about to hear it. And the reason I picked Caleb, because I actually think Caleb might have something to speak to um, some of us um, as individuals, and maybe there's a, um, a story that needs to be heard by us as a church as well. I need to mention when I was a teenager, I don't know, 14, 15, we, the church I used to go to um, at the time, we had a sort of Bible youth group club over one of the half terms and the minister that ran this um, um, Bible study called it Caleb Club. And um, I, never, I don't think he ever said, or if he did, I've forgotten. I, I never really asked him, why did he call it Caleb Club? Um, Caleb was not a particularly young man. We, we pick up the story, he's, he's in his 40s. He's around 40, so he didn't pick it for that reason. Maybe he picked it for the alliteration, sort of Caleb Club. Um, I looked in the Bible, there are over 100 people that could begin with C, um, and he um, could have gone for Gideon Group. Um, I don't know, maybe he just thought Caleb um, was not afraid to stand up um, for what he believed and what he thought. And the minister knew that as a bunch of young Christians, we would need to be like Caleb as we grew up. So let me tell you where we're going this morning. Um, I like to do that, so you know when we get near the end. Um, firstly, we're going to um, look at who Caleb was and actually look at how he fitted into the whole of the Old Testament story. So we're not just going to look at his bit. Then we're actually going to look at the Caleb story and um, what he did. Um, and finally, we're going to try and look and see if there's some relevance for us um, as individuals and for us as a church at Holy Baptist and maybe something for us to take away. So, who was Caleb? Here's a um, um, quick fact file on Caleb. He was born in 1351 BC, so he's an Old Testament character. Um, you'll find out um, shortly where that sort of fits into the Old Testament. Um, his parents' names, um, he was the son of, and I haven't looked up how you pronounce these, perhaps I should have done, but I reckon it's Jephuna and Jephuna. Um, he must have had great fun as a child when talking about his parents. But they, and he came from the tribe of Judah. He had four children. Um, we find the first reference to Caleb in the book of Numbers um, in the Old Testament. Um, and his son-in-law was Othniel, who was the first judge of the Israelites. And finally, his name means dog. Great name. Um, or wholehearted, which I think is perhaps a better description of Caleb. 
So that's a little bit about him. Um, um, enough of the facts and figures, um, probably of no importance at all, unless you're coming to our quiz night this evening. Hope you would like, hope to see you. Actually, there's nothing on Caleb at all. Um, so, um, but it would be good to see you. Um, half past six this evening, another quick advert for our first August alternative. Just come along. If you want to get yourself into a group, great. But if not, just come along at half past six. It won't be long. It will be fun. So where does Caleb fit into the Old Testament story? Um, well, we're going to start back with Abraham, which is actually very fortunate. That's where, if it, for those who are here at the dedication service last week, is where Martin left us last week. And God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, your people will be greater than the number of stars. I'll make a great nation. And the second thing he said to Abraham was, there is a, a land, and he described where that land was, that is promised for you, and we call it the promised land. And Abraham, let's catch up the slides. So there's Abraham. He lived probably 2000 BC or thereabouts. And Abraham, as we learnt last week, had a son called Isaac, and there was that quite difficult story, which I thought Martin did a great job to explain last week, about when Abraham um, was going to um, sacrifice Isaac, and then God stepped in. Um, um, I haven't got time to go through it now. Look, and Isaac, he had um, two sons. They were twins named Esau and Jacob. If you want to read about a dysfunctional family in the Bible, here's a good place to start. Um, they were twins. Esau was born first, should have been the, um, got the birthright as the eldest son. Um, Jacob, sorry, read it in, read it in Genesis. Um, and Jacob, so we're following the line of Jacob now, he had 12 sons. A lot of you can know all this, but he had 12 sons, and one of them was called Joseph. And Joseph, technically a dream coat, had dreams, got sold into slavery, and ended up in Egypt. And, um, and in Egypt, he did very well, and the pharaoh, who was the king of the time, um, liked him and he got on great and he interpreted his dreams and Joseph ended up being the Prime Minister of Egypt. And as we go through this story, I want you to just keep going back to Abraham and just remembering that God made two promises. One, that Israel will be a great nation of many people and that God has given, has promised a land for them, the promised land. Because as we go through this story, at every point, I want you to keep thinking that because that's where we're going to End up. So anyway, there was a there was a um, a famine in Israel, and the twelve brothers all came. So the other eleven brothers all came to Egypt to get food, where they met their brother. Another really good story. No time to explain it now, but it ends up with all the Israel or the, the, the twelve brothers plus Jacob are now living in Egypt, and there was a famine, and. Um, uh, it was a famine, so they all, all end up in Egypt. Um, all the twelve brothers die, and their children, and their children's children. But anyway, as time goes on, there are now loads of Israelites. God's covenant is beginning already to bear fruit. And there are lots of Israelites, and they are living in Egypt. And there's now a new Pharaoh um, who doesn't remember the old Pharaoh and his promises, and he puts all these Israelites into slavery. And they're there to make the bricks... And, um, and they have slave masters over them. And they're in a pretty terrible state. 
And then comes along a man called Moses. And, um, and Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people out of Egypt. And um, just want to remind you again, let's go back to Abraham, remember God's promise of people and of land. But we're now with Moses, the Israelites from slavery. Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. The, um, the, the new Pharaoh says, no. God sends a plague. He says, yes. Then he says, no. Another plague, yes, no. Plague, yes, no. Plague, yes, no. Ten times. And eventually, God, the last plague is that the firstborn are killed. And, um, and, and, and the Israelites have the Passover meal. They put blood over their doorposts and, and, and as, as, as the angel comes, all the Israelites are kept safe. And, with, and Jesus was, was remembering that Passover meal at, on Maundy Thursday. So there are plagues and we have the Passover and then eventually the Pharaoh says, yes, you can go. And the Israelite people now leave Egypt and they get to the Red Sea and the Pharaoh changes his mind again and says, no, go and kill them all. And the chariots are chasing after the Israelites and the Red Sea parts, story a lot of you will know very well. And the Israelites go through the Red Sea and the chariots from the Egyptians follow them and the sea comes back and they're killed. And then the Israelites are now in the wilderness. They're the other side of the Red Sea. They've left Egypt and for the next year or so, time is spent actually very productively. Um, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and gets the Ten Commandments, and that's, um, I think he's up there for, somebody's going to correct me, but a couple of months, I think. And they then he comes down with the Ten Commandments, and there's other things that are happening, but keep to the main story. They then build the tabernacle, which is their sort of travelling church, I suppose, the sort of um, really ornate building that they, they take with them on their travels and then they get to a place called Kadesh or Kadesh I've no idea how you pronounce it but I'm going to call it Kadesh and this is a place where they are now going to go into that promised land that God has promised so we need to I mean this is where we now come across Caleb but before we look at the story of Caleb and what Caleb does we have to look back at what God has promised his people. God has made a promise back in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15 to say, you will be a great nation and I have this land for you. And God actually tells Moses exactly where the land is. And they now get to Kadesh or Kadesh and they're ready to go into that land. So there's perhaps the history of building up to the story of Caleb. It started back with Abraham, Joseph, famine, Moses, passing the Red Sea, and we're now in the wilderness, the whole of the Israelite community. And they come to Kadesh, which is the place they are going to go into the Promised Land. And they send 12 spies. They decide, well, let's go and look at, see what this land is. Because the land's not empty. They're going to have to conquer this land. It's not like an, you know, um, a wasteland. There are people living in this land that they are going to go and have to defeat. And they have this great idea that they will send 12 spies into the land to see what the land is like. And Moses gives the 12 spies basically two instructions. I want you to go and see what the people are like and what their fortifications are like 
And I want you to go and look, look at the land. I want you to know what the produce is like. I want you to know what the sort of forestry is like. So two things, come back and tell us, A, what are the people like and what are... Um, what, what, what is the, um, what's, what's the produce like? And we're now going to quick, if I can go to the reading, and we're going to quickly read through um, Numbers 13, where we get the story of just this. So, the Lord said to Moses, I think it might, I'll read it from the screen. Send me some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send me one of its leaders. That's one person from the 12 tribes. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names from the, from the tribe of Reuben. Somebody begin with S. Keep going. Quick, we can run through this. From the time of Simeon, another person with S. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea. Now, Hoshea was another name, it gets, it gets called, that is Joshua. And, and, and we'll come across with Joshua as well. So, um, Hoshea is Joshua, yeah. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel. From the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel. From the tribe of Asher, Sethor. Tribe of Naphtali, Nahim. From the tribe of Gad, Guel. And these are the 12 people. So the 12 people, one from each tribe, um, that the men, and Moses sent them to explore the land. Moses gave Hashia, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether, so here are the two things, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do you need to bring back, um, do your best to bring back some of the fruits of the land? It was the season for ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman Sheshai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zone in Egypt. Hebron is the main city. We're going to come back to Hebron in a minute. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. This bunch of grapes must have been huge. It needed two people to carry one bunch of grapes. Yep. That place was called the Valley of Eshol because the cluster of grapes is right cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They reported to them and the whole assembly showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Anakalites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jezebites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land 
for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among these rites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it and the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the, ne- we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes and we looked the same to them. Thank you, Duncan. So there's the story of, Ca- of Caleb. He's one of the 12 spies. They've... they've left Egypt, they've got to the promised land, they've been, they left Egypt probably about a year ago. It's taken about a year to go and get the Ten Commandments, build the tabernacle and get to this point. And they're now going into that promised land that God promised them back in Genesis chapter 15. Unfortunately, of the 12 people, only two of them thought that they should go in. And the other 10 said, yep, you asked us about two things, people and produce, Produce is great, forests are lovely, grapes are huge, there's all these other things. The land is absolutely fantastic. We would love to live there. Unfortunately, there are these people called the Anakims who live there. They're from a race of giants named after a man called Anak. There's no mention of um, Anak before um, this part in the Bible. But if you read later in Deuteronomy, um, um, it says, Deuteronomy 9, chapter 2, says, The people are strong and tall. Anakites, exclamation mark. Obviously these people were absolutely massive. They were huge. And the Israelites were scared of them. We liked the land. And I guess there were perhaps two issues that the Israelites had. The first issue they had was that they saw the giants, the Anakites, the descendants of Anak, as being bigger than God. The problems they had in front of them were bigger than the God that had made them the promise. If it wasn't, they would have gone in. If they had trust like Caleb and Joshua, they'd have said, they are huge, they are giants. It is a problem, but God, you're bigger than this. But unfortunately, the ten decided that the giants were bigger than God. And the other issue they had was perhaps they'd become too comfortable in a place where God didn't want them to be. The fact of the matter was that in, whilst walking around the wilderness, and the wilderness sounds not a great place to be, God has provided, I hadn't mentioned, God was providing manna. So every day God provided them food and water. They didn't have to do it other than just pick it up and eat it. And the, and the, um, I guess the Israelites had perhaps, a number of them had thought, actually, this isn't great but I'm comfortable here. Um, if you read through the accounts, they spend the whole time basically moaning. Um, but they would rather be where they are in the wilderness and moaning than they would be where God wants them to be, where the giants are. And I guess that Caleb saw something different. Caleb remembered that God had sent God's power when he had sent those plagues. He remembered God's providence when he parted the seas. Caleb remembered that God sent manna when they were hungry. God sent water when they were thirsty. And I wonder, as we come 
to talk about the third part of the sermon and the relevance to us. That's the story of Caleb. I'll tell you how it finishes, although most of you will know. I'll tell you how it finishes in a minute. But let's bring the relevance to us. And the question is, is there a situation in our lives where we have followed a similar pattern? You know a situation that you are in is not God's ideal for you. But it seems easier to go with the status quo rather than to do the right thing. To trust in God might seem difficult and it's easier just to have the manner that is with us and to moan about our present situation. And there's probably two parts to that. One is knowing what God's will is for us and the second one is then going to do it. We've recently done, a, as a church, a, um, a sermon series. We did the church weekend away, then we did a sermon series on spiritual gifts. And I'm pretty sure that I don't have the spiritual gift of prophecy, and I'm pretty sure I don't have the spiritual gift of discernment. And therefore, I am not saying God is saying to you, or you, that you need to go and do this. But I guess, as a... 150 people, heaven we've got here. There are a number of us that know that what we are doing is outside God's will. And we need to make that decision that do we want to go and face the giants that are ahead of us? And we need to put trust in God. Now, we need to understand that um, God, God's power, this is not something that we think we can do, this is something we think God can do. I was in the church office um, some, one day this week and I was chatting to um, Carol. I hope she's not here, so I hope she doesn't mind me saying. And she was talking about her situation, what's going on. And, um, and she said, I don't know how people deal with these things without God. And, that's a, and it just hit me, actually, that I just wonder how many of the situations that I'm trying to deal with in my life, I'm actually trying to do it in my strength. And sometimes we need to take a step back and look at what God has done for us, how he's provided for us. We look in the past and we know that God goes with us. So maybe you are outside God's will. Maybe something you need to go and do. Maybe it's a relationship issue that you need to go and restore. Maybe it's an addiction issue that you need to overcome. Maybe it's a particular sin that you've got in the habit of, whatever it is, and you know that eating the manna and maybe moaning is more comfortable than dealing with the issue. If that is you... Maybe, can I suggest that you go and pray with somebody? At the end of the service, I've asked two or three people, just come and sit in the front row. If you'd like to come and pray with someone, because you think God is saying to you, actually, you're not in the right place. You're not where I want you to be. I want you to be Caleb, who sees the giants, not avoids them, and we go and tackle the issue. And I wonder if there's actually a message here for the church as well. As I said, I don't have the gift of prophecy, and I'm not saying God is saying... But it does bear in my mind every time now that um, sometimes we, we might be coming to a point where as a church we need to make some difficult decisions around church growth. And I'm not particularly talking about two services where we've sent out a survey. I'm not particularly talking about phase two um, um, where we are going to meet an architect shortly to talk to him about it. Um, but for me I'm talking about church growth. I'm talking about trebling the number of baptisms that we've seen I'm talking about membership going at such an increasing rate that we haven't seen it before. I'm talking about new home groups. I'm talking about people getting involved 
in church life. I'm not talking about another 10 or 20 people in our church. I'm talking maybe another 50 people on a Sunday morning. We're doing two Alpha courses um, in September. Are we praying that there are people coming from that Alpha course that will sit on the seat where you're sitting at the moment and you'll have to come and find somewhere else to sit? Is that what we really want as a church or are we comfortable where we are? See, I think as a church we might be coming to that point in Kadesh where we have to make some difficult decisions. This is Neil's thinking and um, I might have been out in the sun too much and you might not necessarily have to agree. But our church on a Sunday morning, we're in August where people are away and we're still getting towards the back. Our messy church is fairly full on a Monday. Our mothers and toddlers group on a Friday, we turn people away because it is full. And there's two ways you can look at that. One, you can think that is absolutely brilliant and long may it continue. Or maybe you could think actually this is a moment at Kadesh where the church has to make some difficult decisions and say actually we're not satisfied with this. We think God's got better plans for our church. And if that is the case, there may be some difficult decisions. It may or may not be two services. It may or may not be build another building out there. It may be, it may be, it may be. You come and tell me what you think it is maybe. But unless as a church we come to that point um, where we all think this is what is God saying for us, then we probably will sit where we are. Um, the fact of the matter is there were a whole bunch of Israelites and there was one leader, his name was Moses, and there were these 12 people, they, they were leaders of the tribes that went out into, um, into the Promised Land. They were probably what we would call maybe a, a leadership team or a, um, a committee. And the committee came back and they couldn't argue and they couldn't agree. But the final decision of whether they went into the promised land or not wasn't Moses and it wasn't the 12 people, it wasn't the 12 spies. The people that made the decision of whether they would go into the promised land was the whole of the Israelite people and they decided not to. And there's a Baptist principle there, isn't there, that it's not what Martin thinks, it's not what the leadership team thinks, it's not what the elders think, it's what, as a church, we think God has got for us. I can get very excited about church growth because um, if, you know, um, if we are to grow in the way I mentioned, I think it will take all of us to be involved and face any giants that come that way. How did the story of Caleb finish? Well, um, they decided not to go into the Promised Land. They, you will probably all know they spent 40 years tramping around, going around in a big circle. And do you know where they came back to? Kadesh. They came back to exactly the same place where they'd left it. And the um, Anakalites, the really tall giants, were they still there? They certainly were. And had anything changed? No, it hadn't. And if we read in um, um, Joshua, let's quickly find the, um, um, find the right verse. So this is now, so this is Joshua chapter 14, and this is... Um, Forty years later, and Caleb is now in his 80s. And it says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45... This is Caleb speaking. He's kept me um, alive for 45 years since the, um, since the time he said to Moses, while Israel moved around in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. Caleb is asking for the hill country. That's where Hebron was. That's where these 
Amicalites lived. He wanted to get right into the thick of it. You yourself heard that the Anakalites and were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And then we read in Judges, I can find the right page. I have lost it, you're quite right. Anyway, Judges chapter 1, verse about 14. We read that Caleb takes that um, thing. And who's the three people that he kills? The three people that mentioned the son of, the son of Anak, those, those three people that are mentioned in Numbers chapter 13. So Caleb comes back 45 years later. He still has that heart and a soul. He still trusts in God to beat the giants and, um, and does just that. So there's the challenge for us. Um, one for you to think about maybe um, over the summer. Um, if there's something that speaks to you, um, and maybe there's something in your situation, maybe it's a church role that you've been thinking of taking on, um, but actually you don't because there's, there's, this, there's this giant thing of, of some description that is putting you off. Maybe God is saying to you, um, with God's help, I can overcome those giants. If you'd like prayer, please do come to the front. And as a church... Um, um, think on, speak to others. Um, is Neil been out in the sun too much? Or actually, as a church, are we coming to that point where we need to make some difficult decisions? Things for you to think about over the summer. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Caleb. And Father, we pray that we might be like Caleb. Father, that we will put, as we just sung, we will put our trust in you. Father, that the things of this world won't seem overwhelming. That, Father, we will remember back to the God who conquers all. Father, the God that goes before us and with us. Father, that you call us your children and your friends. And, Father, we just pray that this won't be just a good story for us. That, Father, we'll reflect on our own lives, whether there are things that we need to um, face up to with your help. Father, as a church, Father, we just pray that if you're speaking to us um, about the way forward, Father, we want to know your will. Father, we want to be confident in what we do in you. So, Father, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.